Hi, my name is Alad Gross. Welcome to the Alad Pod, an online, uncensored town hall program designed to bring our government back to you. Every episode is a recording of our live show with special guests and questions asked by audience members like you. On this episode, we are joined by Senator Brian Williams of the 14th Senatorial District in Missouri, which covers much of the St. Louis County area. We talk about violence, preventing it, criminal justice reform, and so many other topics on this wonderful episode. Hey, Brian, how are you doing today, sir? Hey, Elad, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, thanks Thanks for being here, um, and uh, appreciate folks who are commenting already. If you're just tuning in, go ahead and comment. Let us know where you're watching from. Uh, we've got Timothy here from Hazelwood. You represent Hazelwood, right? Isn't that part of your, uh, your district? Absolutely, I do. Yeah. I do represent Hazelwood. That's great. You want to tell folks, uh, maybe uh, you know, give them a little bit of you know what what district, like what that encompasses. Um, you know, any committees that you're on, all that kind of stuff, so that they they have a good intro of of who you are and what you're doing in Missouri. Absolutely. So uh, my district, I, I like to consider it the model uh, for the state of Missouri, and the reason why is because I have by far uh, one of the most diverse districts. So my district goes from roughly on the southern border, Clayton and Ladue, and then it goes north through communities like Ferguson. Um, It takes in the airport, goes north through communities like Hazelwood. And then I go right to the uh, Missouri River, so right to the uh, St. Louis County, St. Charles County border. Um, That's roughly 35 municipalities, uh, just south of 200,000 people. And um, I have some of the wealthiest communities in the state, as well as some of the more poverty-stricken ones. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the scope of, of my district and, and just issues are are extremely unprecedented. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, you know, what, what got you to run? What got you to run for state Senate? How did you get to the position you're in now? I know we've got a lot of young folks who tune into the show. Um, high school students, college students, a lot of them who are interested in getting more involved in Missouri and sometimes even beyond. Um, you know, how did you get to where you are today? Well, it was, I'll tell you what, it was never uh, by design or mm-hmm. plan. Yeah. Um, I, I, growing up, I never thought that I would be a, a state senator in Missouri, uh, let alone in any elected office. Um, I was very interested in a lot of things as a kid. I competed regionally and nationally. In robotics, uh, you know, was very fascinated with with that that space. Um, but as uh, things started to progress, um, I had an opportunity to go to Washington D.C. And over that summer, I uh, volunteered on the campaign for uh, a gentleman named Adrian Fenty, who was running to be the uh, mayor of the District of Columbia. Yeah. And um, Adrian, at the time, was. 37 years old, African-American man running for mayor. And that was the first time I had ever um, really had engaged with a young uh, black person who was running for elected office. Yeah. And, you know, growing up in Ferguson, I always assumed that 
politicians were old white men. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that that sparked my interest that there are uh, people and, and young people who look like me who are um, um, running for elected office and figuring out how to uh, make their communities and uh, uh, regions better. So um, after that experience, I was motivated. Uh, I wanted to come back uh, to St. Louis and figure out how I could do things to make my community better. Now, I always was aware that there were challenges, and we'll get into this more in our conversation. Yeah. But growing up in Ferguson, uh, a lot of things that we're talking about today, those were issues that impacted uh, me growing up. Um, you know, growing up in a, a community where it was uh, very segregated, uh, in a community where um, we had a fear of the police, and and it was many times where I didn't really feel like uh, black people really had a voice when it came to um, who held elected office. So um, had an opportunity to pursue an internship while I was in college, and uh, I interned for uh, Congressman Lacey Clay. And uh, interning in his office, I had an opportunity to learn about government, um, learn about what our federal government does. Uh, I learned a lot about the Congress. Um, had an opportunity to just work in constituent uh, base service work. Uh, and I, I really got to understand what the challenges were in our community, not just as a kid from Ferguson, but from more of a macro level. Um, the entire city of, of St. Louis, the entire region, and then ultimately where Missouri sat in the largest scheme of things uh, nationally. Yeah. Um, done an internship. And uh, this is an interesting story. I think a lot of, of folks who are either in college and figuring out what they're going to do next or just graduated from college um, would appreciate. So I completed my internship. And as I completed this internship, uh, clearly, you know, I'm graduating. So I was like, what do I do next? Mm -hmm. Uh, I had no idea, but I did know that I enjoyed uh, working in um, understanding policy, understanding government. And I had just, uh, you know, I completed a master's degree in uh, public policy and administration. And, you know, I wanted to figure out what I was going to do. Clearly, you know, I, my mom and it's a single uh, parent. We're 19 years apart. So I knew uh, my mom taking care of me wasn't an option. So I yeah. had to figure out what I was going to do to be able to support myself and, and what we like to call adult. So uh, I set up a meeting with the congressman. And the, the purpose of this meeting was to ask for a job. Clearly, um, <laughs> I did not execute that and ask for a job, but I ended up getting the comment of, if you come across any opportunity, let me know and our office will do what we can to help you get a job. And he also told me to make sure I attend this career fair. So I leave that day. That's my last day of my internship. And that was not my plan. I, my plan was to figure out how to get a job. So um, clearly down and out and depressed like most uh, Young people are when when we intend to do something and it just clearly don't work out that way. Sure. And uh, I got a call that Monday, which was uh, from uh, a number from uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, it was the congressman's uh, um, assistant, uh, executive assistant, uh, telling me to come into our local St. Louis office and fill out some paperwork. And I basically got a job, didn't know what I was going to be paid, didn't know what my position was, but I just knew that... uh, I had to prepare to uh, go to Washington, D.C. That was uh, nine years ago and uh, almost 10 years ago. And uh, since then, I've had an opportunity to uh, 
work on committees, uh, oversight and government reform, which means I've worked on anything from the tail end of the Benghazi hearings to uh, overseeing things like the census. Um, had an opportunity to oversee the rollout of the Affordable Care Act marketplace right here in the state of Missouri um, under President Obama's administration. Uh, had an opportunity to also um, work in so many capacities, uh, Financial Services Committee, where I learned a ton about regulation of banks. As we know, in St. Louis, there's a lot of redlining. There's a lot of uh, situations where uh, we have unbanked populations, uh, populations of people who uh, do not have opportunities to get loans from banks due to uh, those systemic uh, things that are in place. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, got a justice. And this is something you appreciate um, a lot. Is, yeah. uh, that was also around the time where the United States Supreme Court uh, made a ruling on um, financial institutions like Bank of America and Wells Fargo because of unlawful uh, foreclosures on home loans, meaning that they were denying um, poor people, in particularly that had been impacted by the recession, home loans and modifications, um, which ultimately left to communities like Ferguson in North County and North St. Louis City to have homes that were vacant, and they didn't give these folks an opportunity to modify their loans so they can afford to stay there. So um, that was an amazing opportunity. I had an opportunity to work with so many great people in the Congress and then um, decided one day on Thanksgiving morning that I would run for a state Senate. So I called my mother and my grandma and I said, I need to talk to you guys. And can I talk to you before dinner? And um, Lord knows what was going through the head <laughs> about what I was going to tell them. But uh, I told them I wanted to run for a state senate in my home district, which is the district I represent now. And um, they were super excited. And they said, go for it. We support you. They were on the campaign trail. Um, I quit my job. I called the congressman, told him that I was uh, leaving my job to run for state senate. He said, hey, man, go for it. If that's what you want to do, I support you. So I ran for state senate. I ran in a primary uh, against two uh, great people that were state representatives. And I uh, was fortunate as a, a non-elected person to um, earn the trust of the voters and now uh, serve as their state senator in uh, District 14. Yeah. Wow. It's, uh, you know, it's always so interesting when you get to, to look back on the path that got you here and you just think, wow, you know, if that phone call didn't happen or if, you know, something didn't fall this right way and here I am today, um, you know, yeah. it would have been something else, I'm sure, but... Um, you know, just based on how talented you are, I know you would have been doing something no matter what, but, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you come from a policy background like that to then working in government as an elected official, what kind of, I mean, obviously now that, you know, there's a lot of folks who are calling on you, they're voting for you. Like the buck is stopping on your desk now. Um, but what, you know, what has been, has there been any change in a mindset at all from, you know, the perspective of, you know, helping an elected official to now being that elected official? Absolutely. Um, I think it, it gives you firsthand uh, insight on how to treat your staff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ain't that true? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so um, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of folks don't realize being um, an elected official and representing um, people you are on the, the public's time and your staff is is the keystone to what I do and, and what many uh, elected officials do every day. And um, I have an appreciation for my staff because I realized how hard uh, I worked to uh, ensure that um, 
our office was um, serving uh, constituents in our community at the highest level possible. Um, one thing that I did um, a lot that I think helped me tremendously as a state senator was I took the time to understand how government worked. So I would call folks in the federal level and uh, folks in Jefferson City, even uh, local government in, in the St. Louis region, and say, hey, I'm Brian Williams. I just want to know what you do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I learned so much about what they do. So what it allowed me to do is become really a connector on so many levels to where, you know, you know when someone needs to talk to the attorney general's office or, you know, when someone needs to talk to um, their, their local mayor uh, back in St. Louis or whatever the case may be. And that's something I think that has really allowed me to really see the bigger picture to my job yeah. versus uh, really thinking that. Hey, I'm a state senator. You know, I'm I'm a young state senator. It's about me. Uh, it's, it's never about the elected official. It's, it's always about um, who you surround yourself with and, and how you approach the job and hope to serve people at a high level. Right, right. What kind of, you know, for, you know, I've been to the Capitol many times and know a lot of staff, but for folks who might be a little bit less familiar um, for, you know, the state legislature as a whole, which, which is sad because it has so much of an impact on, you know, our lives and, and the services that we're getting and, and, uh, you know, just leadership in general in our state. But what kind of, you know, what does the staff look like for you as a state Senator? Do you, you have folks who are working for you? Do you have interns? What does that look like? Yeah. So all of the above, um, I have a chief of staff, mm -hmm. I have an executive assistant, um, I have an office in Jefferson City at the Capitol, and then I also have a local uh, district office as well um, here in St. Louis. Mm. And um, those offices are both open to the public, clearly not as much now due to COVID-19. Right. But uh, it's, a, it's a public office that uh, anyone's welcome to come to uh, if they have an issue or, or something that we can help them with, um, not just even on the state level, but just in general. Mm. Um, we try to help everyone uh, the best that we can. Uh, possible. And then you also have a, uh, a Senate staff, which works on uh, communications, um, clearly press releases, does research when we're uh, working on various pieces of legislation, uh, help draft up that research um, into uh, legislation and ultimately becomes um, bills that we file and, and hope to um, one day go into law. And, and I think the other side of it that a lot of uh, folks, especially if you're interested in running for office, let alone uh, state senator, uh, the rules and procedures are extremely important. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it sounds boring, but that's where your power comes from. So when you hear about all these things like a filibuster in the in this Missouri Senate or you hear about all these challenging issues, for example, um, abortion or uh, I serve on the um, – Transportation Committee, which also handles public safety issues. So every horrible gun bill that comes through the legislature comes through that committee. So understanding that process is what has allowed me, as well as um, several of my Democratic colleagues, really um, prevent our state from uh, having to um, be at risk of having such uh, draconian policies uh, surrounded around guns and, and abortion and other things. Mm -hmm. So being able to to understand the rules and procedures really helps me and, and I'm confident others uh, really uh, fight the, the true fight against uh, bad bills. Right, right. It's it's so interesting in, in the systems that we built. This is true about uh, in the courtroom, too. 
is that the procedure, knowing, having a knowledge about what that procedure looks like gives you so much more power and the ability to navigate those systems a lot more. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, in, in the American system, how uh, focused we are on procedure, and that's because we want the system to be fair, right? At least that's the concept behind it. Um, which, interestingly enough, leads us into a very big topic that I know we've gotten a lot of questions about, um, and certainly that has been um, highlighted in this past week, uh, even longer than that. And uh, uh, for many of us who are in the St. Louis area, um, uh, have grown up with this, have seen this, have lived this, um, and now we're. It, it just seems like we're not really making as much progress as we certainly need to be. I think we can all, well, most of us can agree on that. The ones who don't, whatever, you know, we could talk later. But, um, you know, I, I, I wonder I wonder for you, you know, looking at everything that's happening right now, really across the country that's been sparked by uh, watching George Floyd being murdered um, on camera uh, by police. Um, you know, I, I wonder for you what, you know, I, what are your feelings? I mean, certainly you're a black man here in, in Missouri, in America. Uh, you're also an elected official. And, uh, you know, these issues, they just seem to, to have stuck around for so long. And, I mean, you just talking about um, how you grew up and what you witnessed there um, and have lived. I mean, you know, I know we talked about this a little bit before we started, but just the, the, the feeling of frustration. But I wonder if it's if it's even more than that. No, absolutely. Um, you know, this has been a very challenging week for America, and, and I believe it's been a challenging week for the world. Um, for me in particular, um, as a black man, as the only black man in the Missouri Senate, um, as someone who has grew up in, in, a, in a community where uh, racial profiling and, and um, um police departments and, and officers using um, their power to uh, um, take advantage of folks in, in um, whether it's uh, writing traffic citations or, or uh, using um, everyday citizens as a, as a personal ATM to generate revenue for their police departments. Um, those are, are, are realities. And then those realities turn into, um, in some situations, uh, fatalities. And um, what happened in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, with uh, George Floyd, Floyd um, is something that was by far one of the emotional um, challenges that I've ever had. I mean, I can't, I can't even put into words how many times I've, I've cried this week at the thought of being an educated uh, black man, um, elected official, and feel powerless and, and watch a video of, uh, of a, another black man uh, pleading for his life. And no one thought to do anything about it. It's, it's by far one of the most challenging things that I've, I've ever experienced. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, and I, I think a lot of folks, you know, we all, it's, it's a tough subject in America, right? There's a lot of realization that you have to come to. There's a lot of folks who, you know, are experiencing suffering in a lot of different ways. And unfortunately, our state hasn't done a very good job in so many of our communities. And, you know, those who are in power get to maintain that power when they keep the rest of us divided from each other. 
um, you know, MLK, uh, Dr. King at the end of his life uh, was working on bringing folks who are economically disadvantaged together. And so much of the work and the writings that he did was, was focusing on how much we really shared in common, but how we held on to this, you know, artificial division to make ourselves feel better at some, at some kind of way, at least those who were at a superior level within society as a result of that. Um, and it's just, you know, here we are. And it's like we've, we've just never finished that important work and it's a lot easier to ignore it and to push it off. Like that's something, you know, over there that happens in that neighborhood, not in my neighborhood. And, you know, I think, I think what folks oftentimes don't realize because of the way that we've set the system up, because of the way that we've been able to, to divide people up, is that when you see what's happening today, it's a direct result of our failed leadership and our failed, failed will to really get something done. And, you know, it just... It, it keeps coming up because we fail to solve it. And, and what frustrates me the most is seeing like talking heads on TV saying, oh, well, you know, uh, everybody just stay calm. And yeah, I mean, okay, sure. Like destruction, all that stuff. What are you going to do afterwards? And there's a big question about that. And, but, but the problem is like, you can't keep saying that and then doing nothing and expecting everything to just be fine. I think it's just, it's so frustrating for me because, you know, I've been teaching kids for so long and the reason I'm here is because I was frustrated because my kids weren't getting a better opportunity and that was happening because they were black, because they were poor, because they lived in Missouri and we didn't treat them, we didn't respect them. And it's just, when, when are we, are we going to get this done? And, you know, we had a question from uh, Lavelle um, and I'll put it, I'll put it up on the screen. Uh, so let's be frank as a leader, symbolically position wise, what strategies would you suggest for the black community during this time to reignite a sense of protection from white supremacy? And I would say, um, in addition to that, just, you know, uh, from, from your position now, I mean, you're a leader within the community, um, with the experiences that you've had, um, you know, what, what is it that you are looking at? Like, what is it that you want to represent that you want to get done that you want to see happen? Um, but what can the community, how can the community be a part of that? Absolutely. You know, um, when Michael Brown was killed, I remember at the time, um, attorney general, uh, United States attorney general, Eric Holder came into St. Louis and, um, that was the first time I had met Michael Brown's family, his mom and, and uh, dad. And um, they sat and had a meeting um, at the time with Congressman Clay and, and uh, then uh, U.S. Attorney General Eric Holder. And I saw two adult men in tears. And the reason they were in tears is because they were fathers. Hmm. And... George Floyd was someone's son, father, nephew, brother, um, friend. And it's, it's, it's impossible to humanize a death. So when you think about how does the black community move forward, um, it, it's, it's just like any, any community, any family would move forward around a death. Um, we have to um, first be strong as possible, which is very, very hard to do. And then we have to um, really 
place uh, a high level of accountability for our elected leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, I spend countless hours thinking about what I can do to enhance the quality of life for um, not only the the state and the region I represent, but the black community. And uh, whether that means showing up and um, young black kids know that they can be anything they want to be, including a Missouri state senator Mm. or even the president of the United States of America. Uh, But at the same time, um, providing as many resources as possible to ensure that we filter through some of the systemic challenges that has plagued our country since the beginning of time. And it requires um, getting that information and uh, not allowing uh, society or systems to treat these situations as if it's only happened one time. Yeah. Uh, this has been things that have been happening over and over and over again. And I think our country has gotten to a point now where um, racism is is no longer being something that's talked about as being filmed. Mm-hmm. And the world could see um, that there are people that are being discriminated against and are losing their lives because of the color of their skin. And I, and I think that's something that we need to have a, a real conversation about. And um, I think there needs to continue to be policies put in place. Uh, do I think there has been some steps in the right direction? Yes. In St. Louis alone, um, we have uh, a St. Louis County uh, prosecutor as well as a St. Louis City Secretary Attorney um, who spend uh, a lot of their, their time and efforts um, focusing on diversion programs and criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. We have various partners in the community that are doing uh, great work to um, enhance this. The Missouri legislature passed an expungement bill, uh, which would allow uh, folks who have been removed from um, um, parole to be eligible to have a nonviolent offense removed from their criminal record. Clearly, we need to do more, but those are some positive, strong steps. Uh, we've, um, we wrote back um, mandatory uh, minimum sentencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's been some, some powerful things that's been done, but now we have to figure out how do we place more accountability within our police department? And that's something that clearly has not been executed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I think, you know, what, what's, what feels very different now from Ferguson is the number of different police leaders who are coming out and calling it what it is, right? And, you know, I think it was, it was interesting. We even had in uh, 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 Audrain County here in Missouri, um, there was the uh, local law enforcement um, I think it was the sheriff who, who, who was quoted in the paper as, you know, th- these people are absolutely, you know, just terrible. I can't believe this happened. Like, it's giving all of us a bad name. You know, there, there have been attempts, I think, over time, local levels oftentimes that we see where folks are trying to, to move forward. And, you know, I think everybody's frustrated. I think, I think when you look at it on all sides of this, um, there's so many folks who are really frustrated by the lack of progress and, you know, I mean, I, I played football in high school. I tried to play in college. wasn't too good. I tried to play a little after that. But, you know, I had a coach who, who would always say, you know, my job is to put you in a position to succeed. That's my job. And for me, that was probably mostly on the bench. But for, but for a lot of folks, um, you know, I mean, that's kind of like 
Like you look at the system as a whole and there are so many people, law enforcement, social workers, um, whatever, you know, healthcare, mental health care, especially providers that we have, um, uh, our families, all, you know, we're all, we're not in the right position. And, and we're looking at that, at this system. And I think that that's, you know, such an underlying frustration with it is that we want this to work. So many of us want this to, to work the right way. There are a few who don't, but, but for the vast majority of us do. And it's just, you know, how, how do you, you got to find those right people to do it. You know, I, I was watching, uh, uh, I don't know if you've seen this yet, but, but killer Mike took to the TV. Um, mm-hmm. yes. And, uh, with the mayor in Atlanta and just, I mean, just, just very powerful, but you know, I mean, you should, the accountability piece is just so essential. And I think it's right. as long as that's missing, it delegitimizes so much of what um, our public institutions are able to accomplish until we have that set there. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that I focus on quite a bit is we have to make sure that we participate in the process. So um, there's no reason why, um, if you have an issue with um, how your elected official or your local elected official is representing you, you could address that issue by voting. Mm-hmm. You could go and vote and 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 take action against any elected official, including myself, who is not representing you at a high level and in, in serving your community at um, in the interest that you think is going to. Um, um, make your uh, community safer mm-hmm. or, or or address the issues that you are concerned about. But then also we have to, one thing that I'm focusing on quite a bit is we have to make sure uh, there's no reason why um, we're not completing our census form to make sure that everyone is counted to ensure that um, not only do we have representation in in every capacity known to man, but we also are being represented statistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so completing the census, that's one thing that the black community needs to do. And I, I've been uh, working very hard on a um, on a census campaign with uh, Washington University and, and other uh, entities to ensure uh, that we get folks uh, signed up for the census. Another thing that we need to focus on is getting out and voting this August and November. We have Medicaid expansion on the uh, ballot, which um, is something extremely important to ensure that uh, underserved and predominantly black communities have access to quality health care. Um, it's so many things that we can do by exercising our constitutional right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's something that we need to make sure that we really stress to the larger uh, public. If you got folks out here that are saying um, things that do not fall in line with your beliefs? Are they pushing uh, laws and policies that are destroying our communities? Vote them out. Yeah. Just vote them out. Yeah. And and, and that's that's where we need to be. Yeah. And I, and I think um, our country is going to have to make a, a really um, powerful uh, decision uh, this this November. Yeah. I, I uh, 100% agree. You You've got to go vote. We all have got to go vote. We cannot, we cannot give up on what the promise of this country is. And I know it hasn't fulfilled it, 
<laughs> I think we both agree. It hasn't fulfilled it up to this point, but it has such a promise. But we we have to own it, and and you can only own it if you participate, if you show up, and you've got to vote. Um, we put the website on there, votemissouri.org, to help folks do absentee voting here in Missouri. Um, if you do have any questions, you can email, call me anytime. You can bother the senator too. I'm sure he'd help you out. Um, but I do want absolutely. To, I do want to uh, uh, say something though, and uh, uh, Timothy. Uh, put it up here uh, pretty well. So I'm going to take his comment in there. You're doing great in the state Senate. You should know that. So this guy is doing a great job um, and he's doing a great job representing you. So I know he said, you know, you might want to consider don't, don't the, I, I, if I could vote, if I was in your district, I'd have no problem voting for you again. Um, but it's, it's important. And I, I think th- these, you've got to make sure you know who your leaders are. If you don't know who they are, look them up. Find out. But if you don't know who they are, that could be a problem already, too. So make sure that you're, you're looking around for who these folks are, who's showing up. Um, we got a, a great uh, comment. Well, it's a, it's a question from uh, Scott Fawn, actually. I'm going to put it up here. Okay. Uh, so uh, he's asking about uh, police uh, regulations forcing officers to stop other officers from uh, illegalities. And I think that that is such an important piece of accountability, um, having worked with law enforcement officers all throughout our states, different departments when I was an assistant attorney general, having been in, in law enforcement as an assistant attorney general. Um, and then on the other side, uh, having served as a special public defender and seeing what happens when law enforcement, in, in the case of an 18-year-old girl who was in the workhouse, uh, was charged with a crime that she did not commit. And in fact, she participated, she cooperated, she told police everything she knew about uh, a fight that happened over in the loop, and she was still arrested, and she didn't have access to an attorney at the time. And it's frustrating to see when when that, that you know, we always are told protect and serve when, when neither of those things happen. And there are officers, I know I, I talked to a, uh, a high-ranking one, um, in the St. Louis area pretty often, and I, I really appreciate uh, their input. I'm not going to say too much just in case they don't want to be out there or anything, but um, we, we really need to make sure we are building a system where police officers feel supported in making sure that other officers are not criminals because that's what's happening. I mean, what's happening right now is we're seeing criminal activity and officers who are standing by because – because there's a because that system is broken because they they can't even be they can't stand up they can't speak out and that is I, I, at least in my view I, I, I'm I'm sure we agree on this uh, but I think that's something that we need to look at so much from uh, local statewide um, as much as we can to make sure that we have police officers who are doing the right thing and are in position to do the right thing right and and you know and that was a great uh point that Scott made because the thing is is if you one being a police officer, we all know it's not an easy job right uh, my uncle uh, is a retired police officer from the city of St. Louis. he retired after twenty seven years um, and he'd never been involved in a police um, involved shooting he's never had to to shoot. Um, and um, anyone, let alone an unarmed uh, individual. And he has made it very clear to me on numerous occasions, you know, the police department is no different than than any other organization. You're going to have people that are in that organization that make bad decisions, that that carry on um, negative 
um, approaches and and uh, bad practices, and then it becomes second nature on how they treat people. And it's been only a handful of, of officers that I've known publicly that have come out against the, the practices and behavior of a police department, and every time they've done it, it's always been the fear of some type of consequence of them losing their livelihood. Mm-hmm. And we have to put in protections that protect those police officers from uh, any any level of intimidation or losing their their job, which is the, the primary source of income from a lot of these folks. Mm-hmm. And we have to put in those protections. And that's definitely something that I'm I'm committed to working on um, with with any parties that that need to be involved uh, in the state Senate as yeah. well to to address that. I think that's a really good uh, step. I think I, I totally agree. And I was I've been talking to some, uh, you know, I've got friends who are prosecutors around the state that I've been able to visit during this campaign for attorney general. And, you know, I, I think. I think we're really there's there's so much even potential in the attorney general's office, and I saw why I work there. It's one of the reasons why I'm running. I think it can do so much good for our state. But you know there are going to be situations where you have a conflict of interest, and we we've seen this. I mean we we've, we've seen this not in recent history where a local prosecutor. Uh, has a conflict that they can't deal with, you know, uh, holding law enforcement accountable for one reason or another, so it has to go somewhere else. You know, I think I think we can really use the attorney general's office to help, uh, you know, institute that accountability. And I think that also includes giving officers around the state um, deputies the uh, oh, he might have fallen off over there, but I think we really need to give folks the opportunity. To um, to really reach out to somebody, somebody that they know is going to be there, somebody that um, that is serving them. So um, I think that's that's very important. Let's see if we've got uh, our senator back. Oh, there he is. Okay, your video just went out for a little bit. We got you back. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, it's an important conversation. We can't lose you at this point. So um, yeah, no, I, I think I think that there there are certainly a lot of good ways to to institute that accountability. I think that's going to solve um, a lot of these problems. Uh, obviously, there's more because, as you mentioned, uh, your district is a very diverse one socioeconomically. Uh, our state is. But wh- what you see oftentimes is you see pockets where we have pushed poverty there and we've, we've left it uh, and, and we've made it easy to ignore, whether that's building a highway over it or making sure that it's over here and services are are, are over here so that folks don't have to don't have to see that don't have to participate don't have to live in that um, you know ser- serving such a, a diverse district um, you know what what are ways that we can or that you're looking to have our state you know or just our community better invest in those communities that are most in need and that unfortunately have been neglected for so long absolutely so there there's so many challenges that I, I think that a lot of the time we don't really think about. So, for example, Clayton and Ledoux, just their school districts, as you know, are night and day from Ferguson, Florissant, or Hazelwood, or um, Riverview Gardens, right. which are all school districts that I represent. And the, the level of resources, um, even now with this pandemic, to think that there are kids who have to share an iPad just to do their schoolwork because they're they're forced to work at home. 
Um, and a lot of these kids, the classroom is probably the most uh, or by far the safest environment mm-hmm. uh, that they that they are in um, majority of the day. Sometimes home is not even safe for these kids. So, you know, it's imperative that I, I spend a lot of my time really focusing on the, the challenges and disparities of my district and and hope that some of the, the well-to-do communities uh, understand that I have to take on that challenge. And I think it's gone pretty well um, since I've been in the Missouri Senate, where there's a lot of folks that say, hey, we understand that we have resources here in our communities. So we're completely fine with you um, investing um, as much as your time and energy um, to ensuring that underserved and underprivileged communities have the resources that they need. So whether that's in the form of passing legislation to ensure that um, folks uh, have access to um, um, medical services that have sickle cell, as we know that sickle mm-hmm. cell disease is a uh, dominant uh, disease in the uh, black community, yeah. or um, advocating for um, CARES Act funding to go um, to um, food pantries and uh, federally qualified health centers, which fills in the gaps of some of our health care inequities and, uh, and um, create more opportunities of access. Uh, so being able to really just hone in on some of those challenges are extremely important from a criminal justice uh, reform standpoint, uh, sitting down and being able to think that the Missouri Senate has not had the uh, opinion or perspective of a black man in 20 years prior to me being elected to the Missouri Senate, to be able to talk to my colleagues all over the uh, state, and you've been throughout the state a lot to, to know that it's not a question of uh, folks in Missouri not necessarily caring. It's about them not having the conversation often enough to understand what the current challenges are. So to be able to talk to my colleagues in the Missouri Senate that may represent um, Butler County or may be from uh, Poplar Bluff or, mm-hmm. you know, any anywhere right. to, to have that conversation and, and be able to um, talk about the challenges that are impacting St. Louis. Another example is COVID-19. Mm-hmm. To think about this virus has has plagued predominantly black communities throughout this entire state. So North St. Louis City, North St. Louis County, Kansas City, it's so many um, areas, uh, even rural Missouri, poverty-stricken areas where you have to drive hundreds of miles to get to a healthcare facility. They are, are coming up with this virus and they have no access to healthcare to even get tested and find out whether or not they're positive and then don't have um, homes or, or situations where they can self-isolate without spreading the virus among several family members due to the number of folks in their household. So those show right there, this pandemic has really, in my opinion, shown the weaknesses of mm-hmm. um, our country, and it's shown the weaknesses of uh, systems that we have in place. And I'm hoping that um, this uh, circumstance, this unfortunate circumstance, um, this exhausting, uh, overdue circumstance of George um, Floyd being killed is going to highlight the fact that we need to do things different in our state and in our country. Yeah, yeah. I think I think yeah. We've talked about this on on the on this show before, um, but 
it's it's really a time where we're exposing a lot of vulnerability in in America and in so many ways. And I, I think that's that's why I haven't even thought about that before. But just seeing what's happening, you know, with with George Floyd and everything else, it, it's adding to the right. Like on one end, it was very much the medical side. And then we're looking at, you know, the, the, the side where we're, we're still racially, you know, discriminating against folks and, and services and everything else. Uh, but you know, it's, it's happening in so many different ways. And now we're dealing with that all at the same time. You know, it's, it's like when you ignore a problem for too long, you ignore something broken or whatever it is all of a sudden it's that one day it gets real bad. And, and now you have no choice, right? You, you really have to do it. And, um, you know, it, it's it, this is a big test, and 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 you know we have it, it's it's part of of what America is, right? We've gone through tests like this before, and and we need to like it, we need to in this democracy because it is asking us to rise to the moment. It's asking us to rise to the challenge together, and the only way that this is worth it is if we do. And and so you know, I always I look at this as as, as an opportunity for us to really grow as you know and what we can be uh and we have to make it that way because otherwise you know what are, what are we doing um so yeah no i think that's a that's a very and point. and we have to be very conscious of the fact that there has not been any progress yeah. in this country when it comes to police killings i mean just think between now um and six years ago mm. i mean there's still probably they say from 2013 to 2019, there's only been a decline in uh, police killings by maybe 10, 10 people. <laughs> I mean, to think that the number has not declined, yeah. there's been little progress, and we have to figure out what needs to happen for these numbers to go down yeah. and put together what I would consider some common sense solutions. Because a lot of the proposed solutions to curb police violence has not proven to be effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely right. I actually had the opportunity. I went to uh, 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 what's called a crisis intervention team (CIT) training, and uh, it was with it was in Jefferson County. It was with police officers from a bunch of different departments in the, in the region, and uh, it was it was so revealing. Because they were getting a lot of training on on mental health awareness, so not just what other folks are going through, but what they're going through too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I went through the simulator to like, oh, when do you pull out this weapon or that weapon? When when can you use force and all that? And you know, I'm sitting there. There's like cultural competency and and folks who are immigrants don't speak. Yeah, all this stuff. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, this is amazing. And the instructor's like, I'm so happy you came. Like, we haven't had anybody come and show a whole lot of interest. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I was here. And he's like, I want you to understand, this is not mandatory. The people who are in this room volunteered to be here. And I said, they don't get this training automatically. He's like, no. And I think, you know, we really have to, there are, there are people who are doing this work and have been working so hard on this stuff. And unfortunately, far too often, their voices aren't being heard. And, and it's not being heard by our overall you know, the system, the government. Um, but you know, you're exactly right. Like there, there are efforts that are ongoing. We just have to, we've, we've got to do it. We've just got to do it. And, you know, <laughs> it just, it was, it was really eye opening for me to see that some of the folks in that room who were police officers for a bit were for the first time, 
thinking about their own mental health and what that means when they're in a position that's really stressful, which unfortunately happens a lot when you're an officer. 100%. And I mean, to think that in this country, black people are three times likely to be killed by the police than white people. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we still have to argue, has some of the things put in place been effective? You know, we have to do uh, assessments. Has diversifying the police forces closed the gap? Has there um, been um, a pattern of unconstitutional, uh, racially biased policing um, practices that have been put in place? I mean, to think that as a black person, if you're pulled over by a police officer, uh, you you rarely ever put in a position to exercise your constitutional right. Mm. Um, exercising your constitutional right might get you shot. Mm. And so you're already at a disadvantage and you're already afraid. And, you know, a lot of what we have to think about now um, is what does this do for the human race when you think about raising children yeah. and when you think about um, raising um, children of color? Um, how do you explain to any child um, that these things exist and expect them to be optimistic about the future. Yeah. It's extremely rough. And and I talk to kids all the time, uh, just like you do. Yeah. And I can tell you right now, these, these, these kids, they, they don't have a racist bone in their body. Mm. They love each other. They love their friends, yeah. but if we don't address some of the systemic failures those are going to be the same failures that inform and educate our young people um, on how to go about uh, conducting themselves. And that's either going to be in a way of change or continuing to um, uphold the status quo, which has divided our country and has pushed us in the direction of uh, systemic racism, um, health care uh, inequality, mm-hmm. uh, lack of representation. And the list goes on. So we have a lot of work to do, but I think it's going to start once our country realizes that black people dying in our country is not a a black people issue. This is an issue of humanity. And if we don't address it as a um, as a, um, a a serious issue that could that could ultimately plague our country and the world and no one benefits from that, then we're going to continue to have these challenges. Yeah. And 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 I hope that we I hope that this is um, the last of, of many um, killings of um, unarmed black people in this country. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's about all there is to say on that. Uh, there's a lot of work to do on that. Um, but no, I think that's there's no better way to close out this conversation, I think. Um, so, folks, uh as his camera is going in and out a little bit, um, there it is. He's back. I, you know, I, sorry about that. No, you're okay. It's not. Don't, don't worry. We're fine. We got dogs who climb on here sometimes. Um, you know, I do want to say um, for folks who are looking at this and saying, "Oh, you know, Missouri has gotten past this or whatever." On Friday, our attorney general released uh, the annual vehicle stops report, and it was done on Friday afternoon. And and you know, there hasn't been much of a conversation around it. Um, and that's unfortunate because it, there needs to be, because again, for, I don't even know what, what, how many years now it's been almost 10, uh, years in a row since the, they've started doing this whole thing, but it's been increasing in 
and the I mean, it's just shown just such a huge disparity between black people who are driving in a car, white people who are driving a car in our state and getting pulled over. And again, it showed that if you are black in Missouri, you're more likely to be pulled over. You're more likely to be arrested. You're less likely to have contraband when you are arrested. And, um, you know, this has been something where just, oh, we've got data. Let's just put this report out there. But there hasn't been any concerted effort to solve this problem, um, even though we see the same terrible statistics over and over again. And so I, th- I think you're, you're totally right from the beginning of this conversation. We need more accountability. We need stronger leadership. We need people who are willing to do the work um, because we cannot let this keep going. And if you, ever, if you ever forget a reason for why, you walk into a classroom for two seconds, and just like you said, you, you, see, you see what kids, uh, how they start, and you see what they learn as they're watching us and how we behave. Um, Another another thing that we need to keep in mind, too, and this is something that I focus on quite a bit, um, we have to work to equip officers to recognize and handle cases involving mental illness. Yes. And yeah. that's another that's another front for reform, uh, as well as um, and many criminal justice scholars have have addressed this. But the end to the uh, Pentagon's practice of uh, donating um, military equipment to local law mm-hmm. enforcement. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we have a rule against having the military getting involved in civilian matters for a reason. Um, and, you know, the more that we it, it's you know the more that we're building up against each other, the harder it is to build that down. And um, you know, we're really getting away from this idea, this concept of community policing, um, and, and and making sure that the community owns right owns part of that job and and that accountability piece too. So, yeah, a lot of things to do. That's for sure. Um, I'm glad, I'm glad we have you there. Um, and, uh, you're doing a great service to the state. I thank you for that. Um, and I thank you for coming on and talking to folks and taking questions and being, you know, very real with people and very honest. And I think that's what we need in our leaders. So I I really appreciate you doing that. I appreciate you're here in Missouri. You came on back and I'm glad you did. So, um, thanks for being here. Is there anything else you you got, Senator, anything else that you'd like to share? Cause I think, I mean, make sure to vote. Uh, make sure to do the census, everybody, and we can put links to that in the comments and everything else. Um, yeah, and, and anyone that wants to uh, reach out to me or have ideas or, or want to have an open conversation about this, um, you can always find me. I'm on Facebook at Brian Williams. I'm on uh, Twitter at Brian Williams M.O. Um, you know, you can find me on any of those capacities. Go to our Senate website um, and shoot me an email. So I'm always receptive to ideas and conversations, not only just around this serious issue, but but we have several more. And I hope that the public understands that being anti-police brutality is not mutually exclusive to being anti-police. Right. Right. So make sure that folks understand that. Um, This is not a conversation of being anti-police because we have great police officers out there. But we have to make sure that we um, get rid of the bad ones because the bad ones have really set our country back and um, they really have uh, been detrimental to uh, people of color. Yes, yes. And that is a very, in my view at least, that's a very pro-law enforcement position. If you if you believe, if you want to protect folks, and I know so many of us have family members or loved ones who are in law enforcement, but if you want that system to work, there has to be accountability. And there's a lot of officers who will tell you that, a lot of officers who would love to tell you that but are scared to tell you that, and the ones who don't want accountability, they, they shouldn't be there in the first place. So 
my view. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, great. Well, thanks for, for, for being on. I really appreciate it. Definitely. And everyone, make sure that you uh, continue to socially distance yes. uh, yourselves and, until we get through this pandemic. And I look forward to seeing you face to face soon. Thanks for joining us on the Alad Pod. You can participate in future town halls and see all of our past ones at aladgross.live. You can reach me there too, and I'd love to hear your ideas. For now, this is Alad Gross, and I'll see you on the next Alad Pod. Thank you.